Natural law is a set of non-man-made, binding, immutable set of laws that govern the consequences of our behavior. With morality, with an understanding of natural law, we can have a voluntary free society. Self-reflection and being honest with yourself is a huge aspect of a spiritual journey. And if you can't fully do that, you're not really going to get where you need to go or where you want to go or hope to go. If you understand natural law and you understand karma and you understand cause and effect, you understand consequences, you understand polarity, you understand all these things, then you'll know that if collectively we want to enslave other beings, whether they're people, whether they're animals, whatever, but if that's collectively what we're putting our energy into, and that is the primary way most of the people on this planet still eat, as long as we're there, we're never actually going to be able to be free. Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Paul and Lauren Bell, who are the founders of truthloveandfreedom.com, a platform where they teach natural law, morality, and voluntarism. Their farm, Blue Hill Farm, is a certified organic permaculture farm in Southern California. In addition to leading farm tours, teaching permaculture classes, and hosting wellness and yoga retreats, they are dedicated to building community through recurring activation empowerment retreats at their farm. And together they host and teach a nature-based homeschool co-op. So before going to the Greater Reset in Morelia this year in January, I'd actually never heard of Paul and Lauren Bell. And they did a presentation there which I thought was one of the best during the whole event. They're definitely two people who are living their lives very much in alignment with their inner values. They care deeply about freedom and they also care deeply about principles of doing no harm. And they've really crafted between themselves a way of living which is definitely very alternative, but something that I personally find very inspiring. And I hope that some of you guys will be inspired by it as well. If you enjoy the episode, make sure you give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, give it a five-star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, then welcome. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that in several ways. The first is via buying me a coffee. The second is by giving Bitcoin tips. And you can find ways to do that in the description. And finally, as I mentioned in the last episode, you can support the show and help me grow it by listening on the Fountain app, which is available on iOS and Android. You can share your thoughts on this episode or simply say thanks by sending some stats with a comment. Getting started is super easy. You can top up your Fountain wallet with a bank card or any Bitcoin Lightning wallet. And you can even earn stats just by listening to Fountain and being an active member of the community. So if you're ready to start using Fountain or you just want to find out more, use my code right there in the description. And a massive thanks to those who supported me in the last episode. Gaz sent 50,000 stats. Hugely appreciated, Gaz. Pierre sent me 1,000 stats with a message, very strong signal. Guy's show was one of my first introductions to Bitcoin. Thank you both. And newcomers on fire, thank you for your 100 sats with the message, great episode, learned a lot. I really am loving getting feedback and comments and support through Fountain App, so please do keep using that and I will keep reading out your messages. As always, any way that you guys decide to support me is hugely appreciated and all donations do go directly towards the cost of running the show. All right, on to the episode. Paul and Lauren, really awesome to have you guys on the podcast today. We met originally in Morelia earlier this year at Derek Bros and John Bush's event, The Greater Reset, and you gave a really awesome speech there, 
which I found particularly inspiring covering a lot of different top topics, but particularly about vegan permaculture and community building and homeschooling and a few other things thrown in there as well. You guys are obviously like really living a very interesting life. So I'm excited to have another conversation with you today and uh, to share it with my audience. So first of all, do you want to just give a little bit of a background as to yourselves? Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us here. It's really a pleasure um, to have met you and uh, Mexico and very excited to get to talk to you now. Um, yeah, I'm for, Lauren and this yeah. is Paul. Yeah, I'm Paul. Thanks for thanks for inviting us. We're always happy to um, get together and and talk about you know the topics that we feel are truly important and they're kind of the um, areas where we focus most of our energy in our life. And so it's always exciting to kind of share our perspective and and chat. So I can tell you just a brief, briefly, I'm, I'm a little bit older than Lauren. I had a, um, a 30 plus year career in the restaurant business. Um, I worked my way up from being a cook to um, being the regional director of training and a national director of training for a pretty large restaurant company and um, opened up a whole lot of uh, restaurants and as a, as a trainer, et cetera. And did that until about three and a half years ago, um, well, I guess three and a half years ago, we moved from, from Laguna Beach, where our family lived, Lauren, myself, and our uh, two young sons at the time. Um, and we moved to a farm in Temecula, California. My parents helped us out with all of this. They, we were living together in Laguna Beach, and then they decided to purchase this property. And knowing that it was going to be an extension of the family and not just for them. Um, and so we're blessed to be up here and have them to thank. So we, we really are, are just so lucky to have them here being part of it, being supportive of us and everything. Cause none of this would be possible without them. And our lives changed a ton. Uh, we, you know, went from me leaving every day to go, uh, go do this other career and come, you know, come home late at night and missing a lot of weekends and stuff to me being, home all the time. And we basically, with the farm, we've kind of just found a lot of different areas where we can can make revenues and we have a ton of potential here. We opened up our own um, plant-based organic mobile restaurant that we take to concerts and festivals and serve a 100% organic uh, menu, all completely plant, plant-based, which- And farm to table. Really, nobody's really doing. There's people that do a lot of like vegan <clears> food <throat> and stuff, but nobody's really- out there on a mobile restaurant that I've seen that's making the effort to, to only source organic products, which is challenging. It's expensive, but it's something that we believe is almost equally as important as, yeah. as a plant-based diet is to, to source as much organic um, stuff as you can. We believe that, you know, food can either be medicine or poison and that uh, I, my 30 year career in restaurants, I worked for some chains that served some pretty um, yeah. gnarly food to people. I worked for Outback Steakhouse. Um, I just name dropped that. And then I worked for a seafood company for a long time. And so I spent my entire career um, cooking animals and, and high calorie, uh, low nutrition meals for lots of people, including a lot of children. And so now that I have my own kids and my family, I've learned a lot more. Um, you know, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that that has opened my eyes to a lot of things. And so uh, now 
part of where we put our efforts is that restaurant. And it's not just to generate revenue for our family, but it's a bit of like doing penance, I believe, for the, <laughs> for the career that I had before. And that I'm actually like trying to restore some balance because I know that I put a lot of my energy and efforts for many, many years into something that I now understand fully was not right livelihood. And beyond that was actually uh, creating a lot of harm. Um, and it goes against everything mm. I believe in. So that's kind of the backstory of how we've got to where we are here. There's a lot of different avenues of things that we we are kind of dabbling in with the farm. And we can get into some mm-hmm. of that stuff. But that's the kind of the intro on myself. And Lauren, you want to tell about yourself a little bit? Um, yeah, I uh, let's see. I studied at UC Santa Cruz um, and I got a individual major there called Eco Philosophy. It's environmental studies anthropology and philosophy and I was very focused on our food systems and our connection with nature and how that's changed over time. Um, I went on to get my permaculture certificate and then um, have a master's program um, at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. Uh, From there I wasn't really sure where I was going to go to be honest um, until I moved back down to Southern California and got together with Paul and started our family. Um, And then moving out here has just been this incredible way for me to finally see um, fulfillment of my goals and that being able to come true, you know, before I had this dream that we would just one day way in the future, be able to buy property somewhere far out there, um, And it happened a lot sooner than I was expecting. And we're blessed to have the farm that we live at now is already established. Um, So we just get to take care of it and improve it um, and find ways to make it be a source of income for us and also an educational tool for people. Um, Yeah. And and I was going to say also about our restaurant, I feel like that's been a way for us to get out um, a bigger message because we get a chance to talk to people about things and we have, you know, a different perspective than the majority of people out there. Um, But it's not that wild and crazy. Like when you start to really think about voluntarism and freedom and natural law, it all actually makes perfect sense And so with those people that we get the opportunity with our restaurant to sit and talk to, I can also share with them some, um, something that I wrote. That's the the main page of our website, truthloveandfreedom.com. Um, yeah, I don't know where we should probably, we should probably back up and just talk a little bit about that. Cause I think we just like jumped into a whole nother area, (laughs) but yeah. Um, actually let's, let's get straight, straight into that point because, um, you know, the, the whole idea of like plant-based and or, organic and, you know, I don't know if you use the word there, but I've definitely heard you use the word before about like sustainability and things like that. Sometimes this is like a red flag for a lot of people in the free yeah. community and, you know, like let, let's be under no illusions. There's a lot of people who are kind of, you know, more libertarian minded who are, you know, anarchists and voluntarists, but, you know, they're like, they're totally against, uh, you know, uh, vegan uh, veganism as a philosophy they they just don't kind of like understand it or or maybe maybe haven't thought about it i'm not sure but it just i i guess kind of maybe give your take on that because i know that certainly for me like i think that um veganism and it actually has a lot in common with voluntarism right 
you know, if you if you believe in the fundamental yeah. idea of of kind of not enslaving another, uh, and you believe in kind of inherent rights, and you believe in you know right. the non-aggression <laughs> principle, for me they tie in really really well. And uh, mm -hmm. the funny thing is, I actually something that happened to me um, last year is I did like a um, kind of a debate. I guess it was kind of a conversations last debate with a with a um, someone called Lauren Southern. She's I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's very big uh, in the kind of yeah I guess the kind of like alt right. Um, kind of dare I say community or you know like online like influencer type type person I guess she's, she's kind of a journalist as well and um we had a we had a debate and uh when I was talking subsequently to people kind of in the vegan community they I was kind of like talking about some of these libertarian ideas and they, they'd never heard them and they for them it was kind of really weird yeah. to take things like the non-aggression principle and extend it to animals and say okay like I have this you know my, my concept is I don't believe in like taking the rights of another taking the property of another you know taking the life of another but to set, extend that to animals seem like a real a, a completely different um zone of philosophy which for me it's not all so I'm wondering basically just about your take on that like whether you know first of all were you kind of vegan before you became um voluntarist in your philosophy or did it happen the other way around or, or how did that all go for you guys yeah well when I was younger, I was vegetarian for a little while, um, but I would kind of go back and forth between eating fish and not. And then um, when I moved to Santa Cruz and got involved with the like agricultural um, community up there, a lot of people, while organic farming is like number one, they're also very much into sustainable animal agriculture and whatever that means. <laughs> um, and I bought into it for a long time and went back to eating animals thinking that, well, I'm eating, you know, it's wild or it's whatever, it's free range. Um, and then Paul and I met and we were both still eating meat at that point. Uh, I, I would even say the first, the first, uh, date that we went on yeah, we went and, and, had we pizza. Went and had pizza and we sat down to order and she was talking about which one she wanted and i was like i'm really glad you're not a vegan it's like literally like what i said um, it was but hilarious. for myself i i actually had probably much longer stretches of my life where i was both vegetarian and vegan there, I, there was a moment in time when i worked for the steakhouse where i remember being so revolted by the juice from the uh, raw chicken sitting in the bottom of a pan that was like just, <laughs> just like rotten death smell to it and just having this moment of like man this is just foul like i'm done like i'm done eating all of it i think i still ate eggs at the time but i stopped eating all meat for for many years and it was actually like pretty <laughs> funny to a lot of my colleagues that i was like you know i was yeah. like a general manager of these restaurants and i go to meetings <laughs> and you know ordering food and they'd always have to make sure there's like a vegetarian option for me, even though I'm running a steakhouse and, and we go out to eat at the Brazilian steakhouse and I would just eat the salad bar. Um, and so I'd, I'd gone through these stretches, but there I had gone back to eating meat um, not that long before I um, met Lauren. I was probably like less than, less than a couple of years that I'd gone from, I'd gone back from vegan to vegetarian to eating meat. And then we were together. And then uh, when we had our son, Aro, we quickly started talking about, how do we teach our our kids about this right so we started to have some conversations well it was like just right away this feeling of hypocrisy going be nice to the dog be be kind to the dog don't pull the dog's tail you know we love the dog but then like here we can eat this chicken if you're hungry and like what why is there this imaginary line there that those animals are food and these animals we love uh, to the point where you talk to the average person who eats meat and they'll like 
they'll think you're a ho- the worst person in the world if you say that you hate dogs and you think that you should people should kill dogs or something, mm-hmm. you know, or kick them or something like mm-hmm. like they'll think that you're a psychopath. <laughs> but you can eat yeah. animals and it's, it's just this imaginary line, you know, it depends on it was, which animal. So we had a really obvious. hard time with that. Um and it wasn't really talking because it was obvious. Well, yeah, I mean, it was obvious, but just looking at it going like, oh, okay, this is something we have to acknowledge within ourselves and admit that we were wrong. And it was interesting. Our son didn't even really want to eat um, any of the meat that was on his plate ever. He, I think, had like a little bit of fish once or twice, <laughs> maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, we ate eggs for a long time. We had our own chickens. And so we felt kind of okay about that. But eventually, um, I just started feeling really grossed out by them and like almost like I wanted to throw up when I would try eating them. And so we just stopped and gave the chickens away to somebody who would have a lot bigger of a place to um, free range them. And is that because you started developing compassion for the, for the chickens? Do you think that was the change? Definitely more of that. Yeah. I, we weren't, we weren't able to free range the chickens. We had uh, dogs that would probably try to eat them. And like, we're, it just wasn't a situation that we could figure out. And I honestly, like, I, when I talk to people, even as, as a vegan, like, I, I feel like we don't have a right to take any food from any animals. But when I talk to people about, you know, animal products, the one that I say, well, you know, if you if you did it right and you had chickens that were truly free range and they were your pets and you were gathering these things that you found out in nature that they weren't fertilized eggs that they left and you really were just in, into eating the menstrual cycle of a bird <laughs> and that's what you want to do then like on a, on a harm scale as far as like a right and wrong when you talk about like natural law and and karmic things it's one of the it's very low on on to me honestly now unless it's fertilized if it's fertilized then you get into a different conversation but i still would say and then also that it is also Mm -hmm. one of the only like what i would say honestly sustainable animal human relationships that makes sense on a homestead because you're not killing because they're free range and so they're just out there doing their thing you provide protection they leave these things for you it's a it's a pretty harmless exchange i'm not trying to talk people into it i'm just saying that on the scale of things i've always i think that's why we stuck with eating them for so long so it just was like we got to be done with that it's time to move on past it yeah but we actually lauren's background in philosophy i think helped us quickly find the concept of voluntarism discover it and and we started listening to mark passio back at first i was a libertarian for seven or eight years probably like actually like voting libertarian feeling like a third party was a potential like that we needed to break the two-party system and that a third party that would destroy all of that was actually like what was needed and that the political idea still could work if we could destroy the the party pendulum thing and that, that mm-hmm. there's still some something to that so that's where i was at with things until um i guess right when like trump got elected in 2016 i guess uh, was that when it was 2016 um but that like when, when that election had to happen and that when i saw that a third party candidate couldn't actually get any kind of attraction when we had two of the worst human beings in the world pitted against each other for this position that like neither one of them made sense in any, it, it just, it just, I just, this was like, I'm done. I, I literally like deleted all my social media, uh, was like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something else. And then 
when Lauren and I met, I think it was like the second day we were hanging out. She, we started watching um, some presentations by Mark Passio. And I don't know yeah, if people are familiar with him, but he's got a website called what on earth is happening.com. And he teaches about natural law and has a series of podcasts that like volunteerism. about, you know, de-occulting the occult, voluntarism, natural law, all kinds of spiritual things, et cetera. And very quickly, it just all was like, like with all of this stuff. So the, the not eating animals, like the, all of it, it's like this thing that where it's like the veil comes off and you can't unsee it. And it's so obvious that you're immediately mm-hmm. like, how ridiculous is this that people don't get this? Like how like insane, it's like so simple. And it's about like, you know, every time you look at the truth and see it for the truth, you break some mind control, right? And you break something that was like, like taught, told you a long time ago, that was a lie. And you, you start to undo this whole psychological process that's been attacking us all since before we were born. Uh, and so the, we, we immediately just dove headfirst into like, yeah, we're done. We're voluntarists. We're preaching this. We're teaching this. We, um, we started when we go to, we went to a ton of, we met at a concert dancing. We're both fans of the grateful dead. They call us deadheads. Um, but into just like, you know, that, that genre of music. And we went to a lot of festivals early on and, and concerts and, we came up with a questionnaire that we brought with us that we used just to similar, spark conversation. Something um, to something that Mark Passio had done. And if you've seen his really great documentary, The Science of Natural Law, I suggest anybody who hasn't seen it or isn't familiar with Mark, check that out. Um, he basically does a man on the street interview kind of situation where he goes and asks people basic questions about natural law and morality and um kind of government and free will, will, all these things. So we made our own version of that and we went and asked people questions. And sometimes I would do one-on-one other times we'd have a a group of us all talking, which was kind of fun to see how people's answers would change based off of somebody else's response. Um, Sadly, the majority of people are moral relativists. For sure. And okay, they can you can you just explain then for people who haven't really gone into this? For I guess first of all, what moral relativism means, and second of all, what natural law is, and yeah, yeah. how people can interpret natural law as a concept. So, natural law is a set of non-man-made, binding, immutable. There's a bunch of different ways I could describe it. Um, set of laws that govern the consequences of our behavior. That's just a pretty simple way of putting it. There's more to it. We can talk about morality specifically. And the, I think probably one of the most important things is to do no harm, but take no shit. And that's the balance (laughs) there within natural law of the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine principle because you can't have one without the other. You you have to do no harm is the essential like groundwork. But in order to make sure no harm is done, you have to be able to step up with that masculine principle of self-defense and defending other people as well. And this is where this conversation can start leading into the idea of voluntarism and that with morality, with an understanding of natural law, we can have a voluntary free society and deal with these issues that we have a lot easier, but people need to step out of this idea that morality is relative. And so when I say relative, I mean, compared to objective, 
So the people in the camp of morality is relative think that it's just my truth, right? What happens is, is my truth and you have your truth and we all see things differently. And the truth is just relative. It's not really one thing or another. It can change. It's based on my well, it's, opinion. It's the idea that, it's the idea that circumstances can change whether or not something is true or not, or whether or not something is right or wrong. And so that like, basically that there is no, no black and white for right and wrong. There's all this gray area that can always be flowing and changing. And that ultimately what it means is that there's no such thing as absolute truth. So if you're a moral relativist, relativist, then ultimately you, the truth just is kind of what we decide together that it is. And if we agree that that's the truth, or if I say that it's the truth, it becomes the truth and it has absolutely nothing to do with whether something's true or not. And it's very convenient, right? From a moral, <laughs> from a moral perspective to, to say, I'm a moral person, but I also believe that that is whatever I say it is. Yeah. Well, great. Well, you you just set yourself up very nicely yeah. now, right? Yeah. So you don't have any. Well, I mean, like with with most things, people are going to say, "Well, like this is objectively moral." Like if you say, "Is you know, is beating someone needlessly on the street is that a moral thing?" Everyone's going to say, "Well, that's object. That is objectively immoral." But then when you start getting into some other areas, people will say, oh, "Okay, well." maybe that's moral and maybe it's not yeah. and i'm not sure and each person it can be moral for one person not for another and i guess mm -hmm. when you get into those areas it's, it's it's easier than saying no i have to actually think about my principles deeply and think about you know really understand what my principles are based off and then come to a decision on whether it's moral based on some yeah. like firm understanding uh, other people will say well no i don't want to do the work to understand what my principles are and therefore i'll just say well it's morally subjective right yeah. And most people just want to spit out the answers that they've been taught. I mean, you see the average <laughs> like liberal minded person um, who is a moral relativist typically as well will answer like, oh, no, it's not safe for kids to get, you know, tattoos. They should kids can't consent to that. That's that's permanently altering their body. But then they'll say that kids can consent to changing their body in other ways yeah. through drugs and hormones and whatnot. So mm -hmm. it's a, it, it's very interesting how much that has just taken over the mindset of people these days, especially in this country. Um, it's actually the reason think, why, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Paul. I'll just say it's, it's actually the reason why we, we have this whole system that we have, like the government and the, the corporations and the media and all of these things that they wouldn't, be able to exist doing the evil that they perpetuate if every if the majority of people weren't moral relativists because very quickly when you start to look at natural law again the veil comes off you open your eyes well you see all of this like false authority and you see all the bs going on around you right and you're you're again the mind control is broken and you see it for what it is and you realize that oh wait a minute this i've been lied to my whole life this thing that i you know i grew up when I started going to school, I had to put my hand over my heart and stand up and pledge allegiance to a flag, a piece of cloth that was hanging they there still do. with stars and stripes mm -hmm. on it. And I had to, as a child for day in, day out, start my day every day, promising that I was going to have like, give my allegiance to that, to that flag. And I look at it now as, a, as an adult that knows the things that I know and understands the things I understand. And I'm like, holy shit, like, look at this, like, look at what children are made to do day in and day out to make them grow up to obey. 
And you know, you want to talk about it like a trigger for most people. You start talking about how we don't need the government or we don't need this like authority over us. And most people are, it just scares the crap out of them, man. They can't even, they can't what even about the roads? It. What about the it's, fire it's, department? It's like, it's like you're like a mad prophet on the streets, like saying the most insane things to them. And you're just like, no, no, like really like think about it, you know? And, and uh, yeah, but it all, it all comes back to, you know, it is because of the moral relativism and it's because of this, this idea that it changes based on circumstances and that so somebody else, you know, if enough people vote for something and enough people check that mark, then it doesn't matter that there's still like almost half the people that absolutely oppose that in every way. If you get enough of your friends together and everybody goes in and votes, then we have a right to make something a law and make other people's money pay for things they disagree with. You know, it's this absurd idea. Um, yeah. So, it's yeah. slavery. Yeah. It's slavery. Government slavery. That's like Mark Passio says. It's it literally literally means mind control. Goober means control and meant means mind. Goober meant government. It means mind control. That's interesting. Yeah, I know he's really into his um what's the word for it when you study languages and stuff? And Etymologies, like in linguistics. Etymology? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I've started listening to, well, I say started, like started by, when I say that, I mean, I've probably listened to like, like at least a hundred hours of Mark Passio's stuff now. But I mean, yeah. that's still started in terms of yeah, how, yeah. his body of work. Yeah. But oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was like off you guys part. mentioning it, actually. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, because you guys mentioned it at the uh, at the Greater Reset. And I was like, oh, Mark mm -hmm. Passio, okay, like I'll go check it out. And yeah, it's really, really good. So, and it, like it takes a long time to really kind of like digest it, but um, yeah, it's it's very very interesting. So if people want to know more, like prepare yourself to strap in for like it's going to take years to yeah. get through <laughs> what he's done, but it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So just going back to because we were talking before about like the idea of of um, not eating animals and not killing animals and this kind of stuff, and I know that Mark Passio is also like an ethical vegan, and but. I haven't heard him talk too much about this topic. I don't know whether it's because I'm really early on in his work and he talks about it more later on. Yeah, I think it's But too certainly clear. at this point, like, that's it, that's it, right? So, like, he hasn't talked too much about it. But what does he say? Because we're talking about these ideas about, um, you know, um, moral subject, uh, sorry, moral re relativity, et cetera. But what does Mark Passio have to say? Because the biggest thing that I get from people who are not vegan is they say, oh, well, you know, the lion eats the gazelle, the, the, the whatever, this animal eats this animal. It's the, it's the way of the world. It's the cycle of nature, et cetera. What... First of all, I guess, what do you guys think about that? And also, do you know what Mark, Mark Passio says on that topic? First, yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that as as a uh, a vegan, as a platform, and wanting to teach that, I would tell you to do something that Mark Passio would want to shoot me for, and I would tell <laughs> you to jump ahead and listen to. He basically has um, four or five episodes in a row where he mm. goes deep into veganism and, and refutes every argument, basically every basic argument that's put out there. He goes into detail going into but like- But I still wouldn't skip all the stuff. No, I wouldn't go back. I'd go back <laughs> and listen to it again. Okay. But it, the thing is, it's like, it's it's super empowering because he's he's uses a lot of like, um, like old, like occult, different like religious texts and things and that and esoteric things that basically all agree and say the same thing that if you really want to- become a spiritual person and evolve spiritually that at some point you will always come to this understanding and you will always understand mm. and put it all together that 
at, because as because as you grow in your spiritual knowledge, your compassion grows, and as your compassion and love grows, then it's again the veil comes off, and you can't unsee it, and that it's like literally just an integral part of it. And um, mm-hmm. I personally agree with that. I, I think that I I've had a hard time with spiritual leaders and people that are teaching um, conscious topics that haven't quite come to understand that yet, and at least. To me, I, I don't judge other people, right, and where they're at with their journey. But I, but I also believe that there's certain aspects and certain elements that you have to be lying to yourself if you don't come to understand them. If you're somebody who's actually like looking at things um, in an intellectual or spiritual way, and mm-hmm. for me, I actually had a really synchronistic experience with listening to Mark's Mark's veganism um, podcast because. I went to pick up my four-year-old at preschool when I was still working in the restaurant. Um, this was about three and a half years ago now, four years ago. Uh, and his teacher said, hey, do you want to Do you want to hear what your uh, – I asked the kids what their dads do for work. Do you want to hear what your son said? And they were going They were all circle. controversial. And yeah, a couple of those dads grew weed and they were like, my dad grows flowers for a living or something. Like that. Um, but when they got to, to our son, Aro, he said, well, my dad – goes to work at a restaurant where they kill animals so people can eat them, even though he knows it's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And we had already were, I had already been like listening to Mark Passio. We were already hundreds of hours into his work. We already weren't eating any meat, but I still had this like disconnect. I'd actually seen we myself. We had talked about it, but yeah. not like this absolute thing. I made really good money. I had a nice position, you know, I was comfortable. To, it was actually like a good company to work for. The people they loved there him. were great. Uh, and so, you know, Outside of the fact that I was training people and on a mass scale, helping a lot of people eat animals when it went against my morals, it was a great place to be. And literally, as soon as that teacher said that to me, I just, again, the veil came off. I felt sick to my stomach and was like, wow, I have to quit my job. And I happened to be... As I like right during that time when I was driving to work to go quit my job is when I started like the next episode of Mark came on and some talking about veganism. And so it was just super powering and mm. just like synchronistic for me to be going through that process of yeah. talking to the people at my work about about leaving and why I was leaving and and being honest with them about it and and knowing I was gonna change my life completely. And it was time and it was because it was time to fully embrace like my actions matching what I believed in. And so yeah. um you know, he's Mark, 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 actually, if, if you, if you listen in order to his podcast, like he asks you to, he, you listen to him go through the process. He starts out, he's not, I don't even think a vegetarian yet. I think he's like, I know he's, I know he's, I know he he's getting like raw milk and eating eggs <laughs> yeah. and all these things. And then he like kind of, he says he was one of the biggest carnists ever that he would go to the Brazilian steakhouse and have a contest to see if he could leave his light on green for longer than anyone else to eat as much more really? meat than anybody uh-huh. knew. Yeah. Um, and so, but he, through ethics, right. I mean, he understands the nutritional side of things as well. And he actually recommends that people, if you're going to transition, that you don't do it right away, that you do a lot of research, that you treat your body right. Cause one of the biggest things that people fail at and go back or when you hear, hear you, it comes up that you don't eat animals. And people say, well, I tried that but I got sick or my body wouldn't, wouldn't work with that or whatever. And it's likely that they, maybe it's cause you were detoxing. Yeah. It's likely that they just weren't really in tune maybe with what their they body moved needed to transition. Too fast. They didn't, they didn't do it in an mm-hmm. intelligent way or, you know, whatever it is, but it's, it's, it's a really important aspect of it that, that Mark kind of preaches. And so as he was doing, he was saying, Hey, I'm not there yet. I, I know, but the thing is you got to get here first. Right. And so 
when I talk about the spiritual teachers or people that are, you know, I've, I've met people in the community that will say, I know this is right. I know that what you're talking about and that ultimately that there isn't really a good argument for this. I'm not there yet. And I, and I'm trying to like make some steps to just eat less animals and have days where I don't and choose some meals where I don't have that in it, but that I'm yeah. far from there. And they'll even say, I may never get there, but they'll at least acknowledge yeah. the truth of it. And to me, it's like, uh, Hey, I can respect that. You know, And, I can, and a lot yeah. of the times it comes down to, and I'm, I'm repeating something Mark has said here, but I've heard it so many times to where the person will be like, you're right. It's not right to eat animals, but I just need my meat. And there's this like possessiveness that Mm -hmm. we think we own the life of that animal. And it goes back to like what you were saying in the beginning of how we can't really be free if we're still enslaving other people. Right. Yeah, or yeah. other animals beings. <laughs> and any beings in general. And so going back to where you were saying about the evolutionary perspective, you know, people give that argument all the time. I think that we are not animals. Um, I don't think that we are the same. And I think that if we are going to use that argument that we are just animals, well, you know, um, what, yeah, can I tell the story what, what are, Brian? what are some, yeah. yeah one. <laughs> so, so we actually had a friend who's a very like, like spiritual person. He's like spent time with the Dalai Lama and, and, you know, he, he kind of had the same story how that like he had spent a period of his life being vegan or vegetarian, but that when he went to the jungle in uh, Vietnam, that the people that lived on the river that ate the fish had such a beautiful relationship and symbiotic thing going on. And he just couldn't deny that that was, there's nothing wrong with that. There was not harm happening that the Dalai Lama said when, they, when said. they moved to Tibet, that it was a hard winter and they didn't have enough food. And he said that they, it was okay that they eat the yak or whatever. And that's kind of how the, um, they they started eating animals again and that he you know he's he's very connected with animals and so he said you know I've, the animals have told me that we've all been each other and it's just part of this cycle and all the animals eat each other and we are just one of them and we're you know we just mimic what we do in nature and if they do it in nature then we do it in nature and i was driving the car and i was sitting there for a minute and i was like okay and i was like so oh no then he brought up he brought, he brought up. up how <laughs> how ducks Will, yeah, ducks. Will, that's how they are. ducks will <laughs> like gang rape a female duck. How there will be like multiple male ducks that will come, and that they will literally for hours on end until the female duck is almost dead. Will take turns like raping her. And I just had this like thing, and I was we like, were like, so that I was means like, so that happens in that. nature, right? So you're saying that's a na- natural thing that occurs, and that there's no right or wrong in nature is your argument that it all just is. And so if this this behavior is being modeled to us in nature. Are you saying that if humans do it, that we don't have a responsibility for that action to like understand right and wrong and not do it. And he got really quiet. Mm-hmm. Well, on the other side of that as well, Paul, you've basically, you, you know, you could say, well, which animals do you emulate? Because you have a lot of herbivorous animals that you yeah. will not kill in- intentionally in their entire lives. Why look to the lion and not look to the, the the right. elephant or something you know like it's it's arbitrary like just looking at at one and not another and exactly. um, yeah and just interestingly what you say there as well about um you know when people say oh well you know we're just another animal i find that you know very often the exact same people who will say 
that it's some kind of the idea that humans are just another animal and that humans aren't special or whatever. This is kind of like some kind of leftist, progressive, atheist kind of dogma. And that actually, you know, like we're completely distinct from animals, et cetera. They will say that in, in one minute. And then in the very next minute, they will say, well, we're just like other animals and appeal to nature to basically justify that we kill other animals and things like this. So I find yeah. that the same people will use both arguments. They will say, on the one hand, no, we're absolutely distinct. And the idea we're not distinct, atheism and, you know, progressivism. And then they'll say, ah, but no, we're distinct. You know, we are still just, just like other, other animals and therefore we should look to nature and, and kind of assimilate nature, et cetera, for our own actions. So I find that there Sounds is like this relativism. kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I wouldn't, maybe it's relativism. Yeah, maybe it's relativism, but I would say that it's more just like not having a fundamental principle that you abide by. Your principle yeah. changes and you just you yeah. come up with a different reason because it's like, you know, either we are like nature or we're not like nature. And, you know, I find this as well in the vegan community because I say to other vegans, because I find a lot of vegans say this, they're like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're no better than other than other animals. And they say they say this to try to elevate other animals. They say this to, to try and elevate other animals to say like, oh no, they're so, they're, they're, we should really respect them. And they're like, we're just like them. You know, we're, we're, we're exactly like them. We suffer like them. It's like, yes, we do suffer like them. We're like them in some ways. But from my perspective, humans, you know, I think that we agree on this. Like humans are completely distinct from animals. That we are a completely unique creature. I think that anyone who denies that is looking through a lens of uh, their lens is distorted. That the lens of looking at out of the world that is distorted. Because I look at humans, I'm like, well, we are just completely different. And you know, it's almost like for me to even start having that conversation when people say, oh, well, in what ways are we different? It's like literally every way you can almost measure. We are completely <laughs> distinct from animals, like, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I say that we are different from animals, which triggers some vegans. They're like, oh no, you're going to make mean that that's going to mean that people will say you want to kill them. It's like, well, no, it doesn't mean I want to no. kill them. Like, I, I, want, I want the animal. I yeah. still want them to survive. I still want them to, to live. I don't want them to be in, in harm. I don't want them to be, to be, to be suffering. But we're completely distinct. And actually, that means that we should elevate our morals. We shouldn't just kind of look to the animal kingdom and say, we'll do what they're doing. Like, we should be better than that. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a very like convoluted space to go and conversation to get into because it's hard. I think there's a lot of people that, that love animals that want to hold on to that idea that like we're not superior and like we're, you know, like we're not, it's a, it's like being speciest, right? To place yourself in this like elevated, place of it's not of, a superiority right, I'm just, thing, I know, I know you know? it's not it's, i don't think it is i'm just saying that's that's what people think and so like they it's like this like virtue signaling in a way to other species to just defer and also it takes a lot of um responsibility away which i think is kind of a common theme when we're talking about all of these these different topics that the reason that the masses don't uh, look at things the same way that we do is it when you come to see certain things there is a responsibility that goes along with that and it's like first that you have to look at yourself deeply and tell yourself that you were wrong that you've been fooled which most people would i think there's a mark twain quote that says most people would rather stay a fool than have to admit that they were a fool they would rather uh, to continue yeah. acting as a fool than to actually have to admit they were a fool and change their behavior. I know that's not the exact quote, but that's the idea behind it. Yeah. So, you know, it's this, it's this responsibility that's like, oh, if I, if I agree with you that we're superior in some way, like, well, now I have this like bigger responsibility to myself and to the animal kingdom and et cetera. Uh, and it's, and it means people have to do work and people don't really want to do work. <laughs> that's the, mm -hmm. But going back to that, actually, Paul, because you mentioned about this, like you, your um, background in kind of being a chef and, you know, so, you know, cooking steak every day, 
that is a huge, huge leap to go from that and then having this kind of personal conviction that is going to move your life in a different direction. And obviously you said that for a while you were living in that kind of, I guess that gray area of not really acting upon your morals. You were like kind of decompartmentalizing yourself in a way of saying, no, I'll do this as a job, but you know, I'll have my morals like separately. And then at a certain point you decide to align all of that. How, how was that process spiritually for you? Was that, did you feel like you spiritually elevated, kind of spiritually elevated from having that challenge and having to overcome it? I, I, I think it, I think it was a huge, like dark weight energy, whatever you want to call that was around me for a long time that, that, even in spite of being around it, a part of it, I had been able to become more, more conscious on my journey and I've been able to come to understand things and learn things, but it was definitely, um, I would say like a block, uh, that it was, you know, it's just like, it's just like any deception or lie, uh, in your life. Basically, if you have something that you're lying to yourself about and you're not willing to just like the stuff I saw before to look in the mirror and just say like, I was wrong, I have to do something different. And if you want to continue to carry that, well, it requires a lot of energy to deceive you know, whether it's other people or yourself, there's like a, a lot of, um, I don't even know, I don't know what energy it is, but you have to basically, like you're talking about compartmentalize, you have to seal off the truth so you don't yeah. have to look at it. And when it comes up and it's trying to to alert you, you know, what you're doing is you're missing out on all these other probably cues and synchronicities and, and magical things that the universe is trying to, to gift you with because you've got this this other thing that's not aligned and it's kind of like it's kind of like mm -hmm. you know putting the combination into a, a safe or something and when the last piece clicks in and it opens well like now it's like oh okay and then like you just start to see the truth in so many other areas because again this is all about like mind control the compartmentalization is a complete like psychological thing that we just do it's what we do when we experience trauma it's what we do when we don't want to we don't want the trauma of people finding out the truth about us, whatever it is. And so when you unlock that and you open that and you allow the light in, well, then you can start to, to see all the other areas where you can also like see the truth about things and, and be honest with yourself. And I think, you know, self-reflection and being honest with yourself is a huge aspect of a spiritual journey. And if you can't fully do that, you're not really going to get where you need to go or where you want to go or hope to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally feel that as well. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something I've experienced in my own life. And I've talked about it a few times on the podcast, like occasionally the conversations go in this direction. And I really think like, if you, if you have this, if you, if you are not being like honest with yourself, like synchronicities aren't going to help, aren't going to op like open up to you in your life. Like I really yeah. think that the world, the world kind of like paves a path for you of like more, not necessarily like an easy path. It's not always easy, but I guess a path of more meaning dependent upon whether you're willing to face truths in your own lives. It's definitely something that I've had. And I think that a lot of people, you know, definitely me included, went through this process in particular during COVID because like there was just so much societal pressure to kind of cave into everything that was happening. There was so much societal pressure to just say, no, I'm going to go along with it. I'm going to stay locked down. I'm going to, you know, wear the mask. I'm going to take the vaccine. I'm going to do all of this stuff that I've been told, like I have to do because everyone's saying you have to do it. And everyone's saying you're a bad person if you don't do it. And for me personally, and I know this is the case for a lot of people and a lot of people who listen to this podcast will, will relate because I think they kind of found this freedom community through that, is yeah. that at a certain point you just go, like, I, I would have to lie to myself to go along with this. And even though everyone thinks I'm a bad person, I'm a granny killer, and I'm this, that, and the other for not going along with it, like the, the truth means more to me than the easy ride of just going along with what society is doing. 
And I yeah. think that was a big moment for me. And if it wasn't for that, like, you know, my life changed completely after that. Isn't it fun being right, Johnny? Isn't it fun being right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in retrospect, yeah. But the thing is, you know, like it's just, the admission might never come. I still think that the admission know, hasn't or... really come from the mainstream, but it doesn't matter. We know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the real admission isn't going to come. It's interesting because I, I just saw something the other day that was just crazy to think about, but it was like somebody was doing a poll of like, what's the craziest thing uh, that we just accept about being an American. And somebody said, it's that about every 20 years, they come out with a, a admission that says, okay, okay. Yeah. Everything you guys were saying was true. Right. Yes, it's true. What are you going to do about it? And nobody does anything about <laughs> it. And then we just move on with our lives and it's done and it's over with. And that literally, like I was telling Lauren, I was like, reporters could spend like years uncovering the truth about any number of things, some crazy things, some crazy program that the government was doing, some, you know, like mm -hmm. horrible, horrible thing. Then the news comes out, everybody's outraged for a day and a half. And then the next thing goes on and you never hear about it again. It's done and it's moved on. It's like, oh, okay. So really basically like, you know, I don't, I don't think we were ever going to probably get the admission that we were right about all of this that we yeah. all deserve, but I think it's all played out and it's like pretty obvious and it's really like sad in a lot of ways how, how right we were and, and you know, the things we were trying to tell people. Yeah. I mean, it's sad for a lot of people, sure. But I would also say, you know, for the people who have actually gone into that truth and have said, no, I'm not going to hide away from it. I'm going to go through this their lives from what I've seen, a lot of people's lives have kind of improved. Like they found more, yeah. more purpose and meaning in their life and not necessarily through like, okay, well now I have more money or now I have this, but just like, I don't know, there's just something internally that happens there. I think when you really face truth, honestly. It's freeing because I think, you know, every time there's some big, um, I don't, I don't know, false flag, conspiracy, crazy thing that happens. Um, more and more people wake up, right? They mm -hmm. see it for what it is. And I haven't lived that long, of course, but from what I've seen, this was the biggest wake up. Like more people woke up from COVID yeah. than from 9-11. Um, and that's huge. And, the, and a lot of them, at least the people that we have met, a lot of them, it just started as a feeling. Like they were totally completely bought yeah. into everything up until that point. And the moment COVID came out as this thing, they were like, something just doesn't feel right. You know? And they stopped, they didn't want to trust everything that was coming out about it. And they, you know, and then they started seeing things happening. And when the vaccine rolls out, they started seeing family members getting injured and whatnot and realizing like, wait, I have kids in school. And yeah, like, most of them, they already gave their kids all the vaccines, but something about forcing them to take this experimental vaccine with, for their five-year-old triggered them so much that they woke up to it right there too. They went, wait, wait, wait a mm -hmm. second. Uh, now you've, now you've pushed a little too far. My five-year-old just to go to school? Like, no, we're, we're leaving school. You know, I think, yeah. I think the silver lining effect at first is like, like a cheesy thing people are like well like you know like i started this side gig and like look it's worked, worked out better people are like yeah there's like the, the silver lining in this COVID thing but what it actually is it, it truly is a silver lining and it's 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 the evidence of the natural law that we were talking about earlier at work doing exactly what it's supposed to do and we mm -hmm. see it time and again in the restoration of balance of good and right that happens every time there's a, a so what seems to be like a coordinated attempt to somehow destroy the human spirit, to somehow take away our, our collective rights and freedom that, you know, it's not some like bloody revolution. It's just like you push too hard and now I see you for who you are 
And again, it's just the removing of the veil and it just takes a little bit. People see just a little bit. There's something else there. And then all of a sudden you have this sense, this like your spidey sense tingling of like, whoa, if they're lying to me about this, like what else are they lying to me about? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, it's all right there. And it's all, it's all been right there. It's not even hidden. It takes very little effort and research. Once you start to like go down that path to just start to just rip it open and be like, Oh my God, like this whole thing, you know? And so it's, it's, it's fun to watch in a way because you just keep seeing like they keep screwing up and like, I don't really, there's something about the COVID thing that really like it, it didn't make sense to me. And I don't know what happened along the way, but it seemed like they had us in the corner and it seemed like they really had everybody where they wanted them and they had the fear which is the ingredient that they need to take away freedom, right? Is that like, there's a fear and I can protect you from the thing you're afraid of. And they had it all and they had everybody ready to get their vaccine cards and do their thing and their vaccine passport. And like so many people were like, yeah, yeah, you have to do, you have to do it. And then it's like, whatever, whether it was that they pushed to get that vaccine out too fast. And it was like, just obvious that it I was a so. huge failure so fast as like all the data starts like coming in. You're like, oh, they were too ridiculous. cocky. <laughs> it, you know, I don't, I don't know what exactly like their big mistake was, but something shifted and you could feel it and you could feel it starting to like fall apart and crumble. And you could start to see like, this isn't going to mm. work. Like more and more people are like, you start to go out, like less people are wearing the mask. You go, start to go, we started going to concerts like, and there's like, you know, some people else. wearing masks and then it's like, all of a sudden it's like yeah. one day you go and you're like, Hey, there's nobody in this whole room of like a hundred people doing it anymore. Like, or maybe one or maybe one, but it's on their <laughs> neck by the end of the show, you know, like, and you're like, this is, this is done. Like they're not going to be able to do this again. They like this, this play is failed. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you're right. And, and actually, you know, you mentioned that this is almost like the equal and opposite reaction to this big lie is that you just wake a bunch of people up and then that spreads. And it mm-hmm. probably overbalances as well. I mean, I, I actually think that now I'm seeing a lot of people just question vaccines generally, not even just this vaccine. Like a lot of people are saying, yeah, okay, God. like, yeah, like this has opened my mind, but now I'm going to open myself up to other things, vaccines and other aspects of like the kind of, you know, medical industrial complex yeah. as well. Seven or eight years ago, you could not even talk about vaccines to, you couldn't bring it up on social media. You couldn't bring it up in a conversation with people. It was, you were like, if you were against vaccines, you were such this like little minority of people that were fringe and crazy. And, and it just, it was like a, it was just a like thing. You couldn't talk about it. And now it's like, it's like people were talking about it. Well, but you're still, you're still shamed for doing it. I mean, back then I was very aware of the dangers of vaccines. I realized that I had been injured um, as a baby and have epilepsy because of my childhood vaccination schedule. I'm just grateful that I was not a child today that is receiving the like 72 doses by the time I was 18. Thank God I only had like a handful of vaccines, but um, my awareness was there for a long time and I'd been very vocal about it on social media and I got like crazy people who, you know, I didn't have my social media open to just anybody, but of my like thousands of friends, I had like, for some reason, the ones that really were pro vaccine seemed to always find my posts and just rail me. And I'm like, you're supposed to be my friend here. And you're literally telling me Mm -hmm. that if my child dies or has epilepsy because of a vaccine, 
that that is the sacrifice that I have to take for the greater good. And, and I just like, at a certain point I was like, I'm not sacrificing my child on your altar of the doctor's office. You know, like that's not, I don't subscribe to that old religion anymore. (laughs) You know, like that's not, that's not how things should be. And so it was really hard for me coming into all of this, being so vocal about vaccines and having like the greatest opposition ever when COVID came about, people are just like, vaccines are the best thing in the world. They've saved everybody's lives and we need to have this new vaccine. And it's going to, and it's like, and I'd been studying it for so long at this point. It's like, all of this is bullshit. Like everyone goes back to polio as if it was like the thing that would, the vaccine that saved us all, but refrigeration and sanitation, (laughs) And better health is what stopped polio, not the vaccines. And that's been documented. There's so much that can go into it. but I'm so glad that we can talk about this stuff because I've stopped putting my content on YouTube now. So now like, oh, good. I'm just talking about I know, I like, there's still this little light that goes on, that goes off in my head when we start talking about vaccines. I'm like, oh, am I going to get, uh-huh. am I going to get like, you know, a strike? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. wait, fuck YouTube. I'm not on there. <laughs> <laughs> we say the same. We say the same thing, but we still put our stuff on there. They haven't taken it all off. We've gotten some uh, warnings and stuff. We got our first video taken down off of YouTube recently. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, eventually everyone's coming off it. Honestly, I just think that, (laughs) you know, because all they're going to do, even if you stop saying stuff, they're going to go and find past stuff. I've got, I've got um, friends who are content creators as well. They've started going through their old videos and finding and flagging stuff up. This that was like before they even brought in these rules. Like uh, it's absolutely crazy. So yeah. The one that was banned for our channel was um, about a friend. He, we record all of the um, speakers. We have a, we have events that we have at our property where we have people come and speak and perform music and stuff. And we put all the speakers up on um, our YouTube and Odyssey channels. Um, Mm. And this one happened to be a friend. His name is Brendan and he was going over his alternative health journey. And so he was, you know, describing different things that he has used to heal himself. Mm -hmm. Um, that are not commonly used. And he listed a lot of different things the whole time. I'm like, which one was it that really got them so upset? (laughs) But I think it was all of them combined, you know, it was just too much. Um, Yeah. That's the biggest trigger for the censorship today is health. Um, Yeah. That's what I'm seeing at least. You start talking about health and how to be a healthy person and to avoid the pharmaceutical industry and stuff. And they're like, false information. (laughs) You have to trust the doctors and the science. It used to be, you know, like kind of conspiracy stuff. It used to be that like if you share videos about 9-11, you know, that, you know, you think that um, it's an inside job or whatever. And then that, you know, those videos get taken down. But now you're right. it's, It's the health stuff. That seems to be the big battleground now well yeah i guess as well as now we've got this kind of international stuff going on but yeah let's not, right. probably best not just to, to take that. everyone's mind away from something else and have another big crazy thing happening yeah and also to just divide people again i mean i'm yeah. seeing just so much division but then Huge. You know, I, I am also seeing some people with some opinions that i'm just like i'm kind of glad they're getting exposed but uh there you go i just wanted to actually pick up with with you because you were mentioned about um you know vaccines in the school vaccine schedule and stuff i know in california it's really strict right like 
Not just sorry, really strict. Dog, some dogs going crazy. That's uh, all right. Kids are just going <laughs> yeah, take care of it because I got dogs yeah. going wild outside. Um, so, yeah, California um, it was one of the first to remove philosophical and religious exemptions. And that only lasted for a short period of time. I think it was just like the next session. session. <laughs> um, evil Senator Pan. Uh, he's... I think he has that name for a reason. Um, <laughs> he's, he came back and was like, oh, I'm not going to touch medical exemptions. Don't worry. Your medical exemptions are still safe. And then the next session, he came back and he removed medical exemptions. People will try to tell you that they still exist, but they really do not. No doctors will even take you, basically, if you don't have your child vaccinated even. And the ones that were writing exemptions are so scared now because they made um, an example of Dr. Sears, who's a, a doctor in Southern California, who he didn't completely subscribe to no vaccines. Um, he's more of a like, it's your your choice, consent, I'll give you the information and you consent whether or not you want to. But he was made an example of. Um, and so no doctors are really brave enough to do it in California anymore, even though they're allowed to do like five a year, I believe, which is just ridiculous. Like as if only five kids in one little area every year have some sort of medical reason why they should yeah, be exempt. Yeah. Basically the only reason why your child would be exempt medically in California is if they receive a vaccine and they almost die from it. And that's just then going to be or exempt from that one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> But the vaccines all have the same ingredients. <laughs> yeah. They're all the exact same ingredients. I mean, I've listed them. I've gone through every single vaccine package insert and I have written down all the ingredients and they're all neurotoxins. They're all poisons. Um, it's just insane. And the, the law that is in California right now is so crazy because it's like I can look at, say, the um, MMR vaccine insert. And before it even gets to the list of adverse reactions, right, side effects, um, it says if you or a family member has ever had a seizure or has epilepsy, do not take this vaccine. Now, I can show that to a doctor and they'll say, too bad. Your child's going to have a vaccine anyways. Wow. And that's just, that's crazy to me. That's just completely insane. But the silver lining mm -hmm. is that homeschooling has gotten extremely popular in California yeah. and it's a direct like effect of this, you know, it's that, and then the COVID COVID happened. And so everybody, you know, didn't yeah. have school for a while and had to figure out stuff with their kids with, with school. And again, a lot of people woke up and then they wanted the kids to get the COVID vaccine to come back to school because the CDC recommended it. So it became part of the schedule. And a lot of parents uh. were like, hell no. And so, you know, we homeschooled our, our children. That was our plan all along. And, you know, there's so many people we meet now that are like, well, yeah, we're never putting our kids back in school. And now they actually like see all of the other problems with the education system yeah. and with the public schools. And they're just like super grateful that they woke up through COVID and pulled their kids out because they, you know, have a, a different, uh, different perspective of things now. And they feel like they're actually, you know, doing the right thing by their kids, which they are. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's just another one of those silver linings that that people you know don't understand at the time. They think it's a really difficult thing, but then they find out it was the best thing that could have happened. So, so I'm interested to know more about the the homeschooling thing. Did you, did you say your kids have always been homeschooled? 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're not too deep into it. We've got our oldest is in second grade, and we started basically in preschool with his homeschooling. So we've done that for a few years, and then we've got a, a four year old who who's doing preschool now. We have a little homeschool co op that we do here on our property, and we have a few other uh, kids of like minded families that come and and Lauren and I teach them um, kind of like a Waldorf style, like doing a lot of like farm outside uh, crafting um, kind of non-traditional unschooling type of thing with the homeschool and stuff then um, because I know that a lot of people they're they're really interested in in homeschooling especially now I mean I don't have kids but I know that like there's a lot of people out there got got kids and are just worried about the way things are going especially like childhood vaccine not just childhood vaccinations but also just this kind of crazy like you know gender ideology and stuff that are teaching in in schools like a lot of people are just saying I, what choice do I have? Like my kid is going to school and they're, they're just basically being yeah, brainwashed. You can't opt out of that. There's no, a lot of states, yeah. California being one of them, you're not allowed to opt your child out of sex education. Oh, you're not allowed? Which, no, no. No. So, so <laughs> with, how, how have you found that experience home, homeschooling? Like, how, how do you, um, how do you learn how to do that? How do you kind of have confidence in your ability to kind of like school your kids? Like, how, how does that all work? I, I mean, I imagine this should be something which comes like fairly naturally, but we're almost taught not to right. do it. We're almost taught to just kind of export it out to someone else. Most people are afraid to. They just don't think that they can. Um, and I definitely was intimidated at first. Like, how am I going to teach these subjects? Um, right now, it's pretty simple where our kids are young. Um, so there's... There's not like this crazy amount of studying that I have to do to get ready to teach my kid algebra or something. Um, but it's been a learning experience. You know, we have to learn in order to be teachers and it's a process doing it is, is how you learn it. Just picking it up and going for it. Um, we're blessed that we have the opportunity to do this. Um, partially because Paul quit his job um, working at the restaurant. And so we had mm-hmm. now suddenly the time and we wanted to, you know, w- use it as a way to create community and friendships for our kids and bring in other kids in the neighborhood. Um, and that way we can have like a little group and we can be teaching and we have been able to earn a little bit of an income from it. Um so, so I would say one, it's, it's not always necessary. It really is all going to be dependent on the, the children and the students, right? So yeah. we've got, you know, we've got our, our older son who, you know, last year we really realized like we, we were having a hard time teaching him and he was having a hard time learning from us and separating the mom and dad thing and the school thing. And we, we have a friend that lives here on the property and we were able to make some arrangements and he became like his teacher and tutor, but not everybody has that ability, but what people do have the ability to do is find other families that maybe are homeschooling as well. And they can, could come to come together in either home or in the same space. And maybe one of the other parents could spend some time teaching the other um, other person's child, if they're if they're somebody who's a little resistant to learning from their parents, and trade off, and you might see what we've what we've experienced having the, our little school here for a couple of years now is that when in most cases, not all, but when most cases, when parents want to stay and be a part of the school day a little bit and kind of be supportive of their kids, that their kids are much less uh, inclined to participate fully and actually like do the lessons they they Mm -hmm. they do much better when their parents leave which is 
kind of like, I don't know if that's like a normal thing or weird to say, but it's just true. When their parents are around, you see it like they're, they're attached. Uh, still, well, it's not you know? just attached, but a lot of kids do a better behavior when they go somewhere. You don't see what you might yeah. see at home and you don't see like some of the nastiness that is inherent to a lot of <laughs> and some kids that they are able to control it. So, so having another grown up in the room sometimes can help just with that, with balancing and offsetting some of that. And, and so that would be, and then also finding other families with other kids, because it is nice to be able to create a little bit of that, um, because kids learn from each other and they learn from how the other kids are learning too. And so it's nice to, to have a couple of bodies around just so they can see some just different examples of personalities yeah. and kind of feel that feeling of being around, but it's not the same forced socialization that you're seeing in a, in a, in a public school where you just drop, you know, it's just the role of the dice of who your kids are yeah. around and who they're being influenced by. You can I be think a that's bit more a, picky. A really good point um, that actually his sister brought up to me one of the first times we met. She's got five kids and she homeschools all of them. And I said, I'm sure, you know, you get people asking all the time, like, how do you socialize your kids? And she's like, well, there's a difference between socialization and forced socialization and putting them in a school, in a public school or a private school. You're forcing them to be around certain kids that you didn't really get to like vet what their parents are like and what kind of influence they're going to have on your kids. Um, in our situation, we get to meet the parents and interview them and have a good chance to get to know them and see what kind of influence our kids are going to be getting from and vice versa, you know? And we also have to, you know, because of some of our non-mainstream um understandings and beliefs about things we have to be a little <laughs> bit careful about who we who we want to bring around our kids don't always have the filter that they might need to and they may say something that's uh triggering to certain people uh, we have certain opinions about authority in the government and that include you know police military etc because it's all under the same umbrella and that's not always popular we live in an area where there's military bases not that far around there's a lot of people that have members of law enforcement in their family and stuff and so uh you know we it's not that we wouldn't you know interact with somebody from one of those families oh, but we also want to make sure that we're not going to be uh, it's not gonna be a problem for them to be around us you know and that they're gonna yeah, end up yeah, yeah. feeling comfortable yeah. with the, the things we're, we're expressing and so you know, which yeah. i'm want to make it clear though i'm not going around teaching our you know <laughs> kindergartners and first graders and um about voluntarism and so, against natural authority law. natural law is different because this is something that Pretty much when you go over it with a parent, everybody can agree on basic things about do no harm. Um, I, I don't bring in animals into school that unless like the parent wanted that conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Well, like as far as veganism yeah. and stuff like that, because it come it can come up in, at lunchtime, you know, and we've just been like, well, some people choose to eat animals and some people choose not to. And leave it at that okay. because that's it's not my job yeah. to teach their children about those things. That's their job uh, the, to that, do that. The other you kids' know? children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Although, although last year we had a really interesting kind of like debate that I watched happen between a couple of first graders that were here. And one of them had become vegetarian and he's like really sweet little boy. And um, we were we were talking about responsibility and somehow it came up like our responsibility for the earth and how, and so I was like, well, how do we show care for the earth? And, uh, 
one of the the little girls said, well, we can take care of the trees. Um, we could love the trees and take care of them. I'm like, oh, that's good. And then the little boy said, well, we can love the animals and not kill them and not eat them. And she, and the little girl was like, well, we, we can eat some of them. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, we're not like, we're not going to get into that right now. But it was just really interesting to watch at that level, that conversation happening where it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, like something's, you know, he's like, wait a minute. Like that doesn't make sense. And he was sweet. I, his mother actually came to us and told us that he had decided to become vegetarian um on his own and she was actually like really proud of him she had been vegetarian in the past and um apparently it started because one day they were she served him some chicken nuggets and they were shaped like kind of like chickens i guess maybe and he's like mommy they call them chicken nuggets because they look like little chickens and she's like no honey it's because they're made of chickens and he just like dropped the nugget was like almost started crying. He said, I, but I don't want to eat chickens. I love chickens. And Mm -hmm. that was, that was a big thing for him, you know, to have that realization. And, and I feel like kids, I know most people don't want, wouldn't want to see it this way, but it's like when they're little, they don't know what they're consuming. It's just food being put on their plate. And as they get older, they start to realize that it's coming from this animal, but they've already been, desensitized to it mostly because they've just been eating it. This is just what we do. Um, but I almost feel like it's more appropriate to give your child the choice, like keep, raise them vegan. And as they get older and old enough to make that decision for themselves, I wouldn't pursue that. I wouldn't like promote my child actually doing that, but you know, I just feel like it's a more yeah. moral. Um, yeah. Most people see it the other way. They say, well, yeah. Everyone should raise their kids with a, you know, quote unquote normal or whatever diet of, of animals and, and plants. And then at some point, let them decide. And it's like, well, in the same way that the parent decides what they, whether they let a, uh, their child watch a certain movie or whether they let a child, you know, have a certain candy or whatever it is, like you always are guiding your child according to your own like moral framework. So I never quite understood that argument that it's like, oh, well, just, you know, let, let them just kind of like convert to you know whatever the rest of society is doing in general until you have a certain age because that's not parenting parenting is about you know not necessarily like like you said you don't have to necessarily give them all your money you don't have to necessarily sit down and be like hey by the way kids you know like the state is evil and they're a bunch of you know like child rapists like police and well you know you don't necessarily have to have that conversation with them (laughs) but there are certain conversations which a child will naturally emerges with a child you know children do i've seen it like a lot of videos of of kids when they're eating a certain thing that they're asking those questions you know they're saying oh well uh you know is this really chicken they're kind of like getting upset about what they're eating because they have this kind of cognitive distance already going on and kids you know exactly they those are the questions they're naturally asking unlike you know when people try and teach their kids about sexual questions that they're not even asking you know like they're too young to even be asking that where and they trying to force that whereas the questions about what you're eating and and you know like is it okay to eat animals and stuff kids actually now seem to ask those questions quite naturally like at an early age anyway so yeah you, you talked earlier about how it's actually kind of like a I don't know, like there's a big disconnect with the like freedom community related to this whole, you know, plant-based lifestyle thing. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's a a couple aspects to that, that I like to appeal to the freedom community to think about. And one is that 
the first time any of us ate meat, which I, I don't really, I think I've met people now that were, are grown adults that were raised vegetarian or vegan, but almost everybody I know that's vegan was born into a family that they got mm -hmm. meat put on the table pretty early on in their life and were told to eat it. Uh, I was told to just eat whatever was put in front of me, that that was food. This is what we're eating. That was my like education on nutrition for the first probably seven or eight years of my life. There was no conversation about what is this and what, like, how do, what is my body doing with this? Where did this come from? Et cetera. I obviously like came to know what it was that I was eating probably very early on as well. You know, living in a, um, we lived on a, on a farm in a commune where they you know, like butchered animals and hunted and my parents trapped furs um, for, for a living for a couple of years. And so, you know, I was around a lot of that. My grandfather hunted and fished and everything. And so, um, you know, but it's about like, we, we were told to obey and people in the freedom community. That's one of the things that we should all be questioning is when we're just told to obey in the beginning, we're not told to think about it. We're not given a choice. We're told we have to do this. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to something like food that creates such like deep psychological bonds with, with ourselves and our idea of comfort and our idea of safety and, and actually like also like teaching their bodies to take nutrition from these sources right and so it's like early on your body becomes it is an addiction it needs it it needs it because it doesn't know how to get nutrition enough nutrition for other things because that's what your primary nutrition source is and most people that eat meat it's the most thing on their plate you know it's the biggest portion of whatever it is they're taking in is the meat part and they can't even think about it's not a meal if it doesn't have meat it's even like breakfast something. in the morning it's <laughs> like they have to have some like fried pig with their bowl of cereal to make it feel like a meal you know and it's just it's just because they've been conditioned that way so you've got that aspect that we were told to obey and we basically were were conditioned and psychologically manipulated into this idea of eating animals for food but then also the idea we talked about earlier that if we want to be free if you understand natural law and you understand karma and you understand cause and effect you understand consequences you understand and polarity you understand all these things then you'll know that if if collectively we want to enslave other beings whether they're people whether they're animals whatever but if that's collectively what we're putting our energy into and that is the primary way most of the people on this planet still eat a lot and so as long as we're there we're never actually going to be able to be free it's it's actually like impossible according to natural law which yeah. you know so long works. as we treat others a certain way, we're going to continue to be treated that which way, is rule. which is the golden <laughs> rule. And, and mm -hmm. I actually think that it's uh, better to understand or it makes more sense. <laughs> I guess it's more impactful to understand the golden rule by saying what you do to others will be done to you. Um, and so then we can really understand like, okay, well, if we're enslaving other people, we're going to, or other animals, we're going to continue to be enslaved ourselves. Um, one, one thing that I do think is important today, as far as like how we've noticed that, you know, you see people who are in the vegetarian, vegan communities that don't really understand freedom and natural law and voluntarism. And then you have the people in the freedom communities who don't understand plant-based diets and anything around that morality. Um, and it's more than just morality. It's the behavior. Um, but so I see that there has been a very concerted effort to push people away 
from veganism. Um, and people could probably say the opposite because there's been so much put out there of like, oh, you should stop eating animals because it's good for the environment to stop eating animals. And this is why a lot of people are doing it because of cow farts and all these things, which I don't want to get into a complete conversation about that part, but there is definite truth into the amount of destruction that has happened based off of animal agriculture. Um, but there's this huge push for fake meats. And while on the one hand, I think that, um, you know, finding alternatives, especially for people who are having a hard time transitioning, you know, it's not, Food is is a comfort. Food is a memory. Food is, you know, there's so much emotion connected with what we eat. And so that's, I think, a huge part of why it's so hard for people to let go of eating animals. Um, and then, you know, there is a benefit to having a, a vegan version of a burger or something. But I see that as like a stepping stone. And here we see this huge movement of the beyond meat and the, you know, impossible burgers. And then like them starting to push for like insects in your food. And then you're, I'm going like, well, wait, this isn't vegetarian as or vegan anymore. If you're, yeah, we're putting insects yeah. in your food and it's all like all these people in the freedom community are going, see, see, this is why we have to have our meat, my meat. They're going to try to take away my meat because I don't want to eat bugs. And this is Carl Charles, Schwab and Klaus. or Klaus Schwab and uh you know whatever they're probably related <laughs> whatever and, yeah um, this is Schwab and this is Bill Gates and they're pushing their agenda to be vegetarian and vegan and and you know you're gonna just like fall in their trap by doing that and you're not gonna be free anymore because you're gonna be forced to eat their bugs or whatever and it's just I see that as like controlled opposition mm. yeah it, it, I, I I that. people think People think I've actually heard people say that it's a it's a conspiracy to weaken the bodies and minds of freedom minded and conscious people so that it's a it's a like a lesser diet. It provides less nutrition. And so we're yeah. going to be less able to think and grow spiritually, et cetera. It's absurd. Totally yeah. Absurd. Well, yeah. Well, this is yeah, this um, the whole um, soy boy thing. I, I suspect that that is that was like a psyop as well. Like everyone. It seemed to come out of nowhere. And the thing is, like, these people genuinely are still out there believing, like, okay, well, you're going to become more, like, estrogenized with science. And I'm not, not saying there's, like, if you, if you, I've, I've looked at the studies, I've looked deep into this to try to actually find if there's any truth to it. And it seems mm -hmm. like there might be some truth. There can be some estrogenizing effect. If you literally drink, like, maybe about some, yeah. something to, to the degree of, like, 12 or 13 liters of soy milk a day like you'd have to pretty much only right. drink soy milk and you'd have to have it by huge amounts you might have some very very slight um estrogenizing effects but it's like basically you know negligible and actually if you look at the um the, the whether like the opposite effect of that if you actually test like most vegans they have a like higher for instance testosterone levels than people who eat meat like if you do if you mm. run the studies well, if not it's like normally equal, equal like i've looked into these things and i'm like Maybe it's the other way. Maybe the psyop is in the other direction. Like these things of like right. trying to get people to stop eating plant-based foods, get people to stop. You know, I've heard all this stuff about like anti anti nutrients in beans and things like that, and it's it's all nonsense. But you've got quite big people promoting it, and I'm like, that to me is anti health. Like that is that is the mate, potentially the real psyop. But you know, I don't want to necessarily like right. trade psyops. But the whole nutrition, the whole nutrition field is absurd. It's like this huge like 
chaos field of, of whatever the newest thing that comes along. And there's always like a thousand studies that support it. And there's always another thousand studies that say it's completely yeah, wrong. You're actually fair. poisoning yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's not a single one thing ever that I've seen that doesn't have a whole bunch of detractors. It's just like yeah. part of the deal. It's like, how do you, it's yeah. like, you just, you just like pick one and kind of like go with some like influencer <laughs> or guru or something and kind of just like hold on to what they're saying. But yeah, I mean, yeah (laughs) but but then i guess then that comes down to just like your personal experience is generally the best compass right because i also accept that if i was in like i I don't know in another situation i might look at that and believe all those studies you're talking about i might look at all the same studies and find you know the other interpretation or maybe i'd look at different studies and say oh yeah it's always really bad or whatever sometimes we try to confirm our own bias so you could say oh well i've tried to confirm my own bias but i'm in great health right so like i know and I've been, I've been vegan for over eight years. So it's like, you know, I, and I'm in very, very nice. good health. So when people say, oh, well, you know, you're going to be like deficient, you're going to be this and that. I'm like, well, I know I'm not. Like, I know from my personal experience, I'm in great health. Like basically, you know, not really a lot changed for me. I wouldn't say that I became kind of stronger or weaker or anything like that. Like just pretty much everything went the same. I just changed. I didn't even feel that different, honestly. Didn't really feel that different. Like yeah. some people are like, oh, we I felt better or worse. That. Yeah, we need what? We need more people like you and myself. Like I, I feel like I'm in, in good physical condition as well. I've, I mean, yeah. I've had that actually be a factor in a con- conversations, multiple conversations with people who are maybe on the fence or like considering it or feel like it's just like they can't get enough nutrition and they'll literally say, but now I look at you and I see like, well, if you eat this way and your body looks like mm-hmm. that and I'm like, and I don't yeah. like go work out at the gym. I just work on our farm and stay busy and do yoga. Um, but the they don't see me wasting away and seeing my ribs and looking like a Holocaust <laughs> yeah. survivor. So, yeah. you know, that that's, but, but I, honestly, and I think we need, more people like that. we need more people <laughs> like that out there speaking and representing that just kind of like look more physically yeah. fit, because I think that that's a super powerful thing to attach to the message. And anytime you have people that like mm-hmm. you should have your platform, because it's an important thing for people to see. And that takes that yeah. whole like idea out of their head that they can't be this version of themselves. They want to be, in that diet, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree, Paul. Like it's, uh, I always try and do that. Like I don't actually, you know, even though like I have like a lot of vegan friends, stuff like that. And occasionally I've been on like vegan channels and pods and stuff like that. It's not really the thing that it's not the thing that I think defines me. Like I much prefer like having just more conversations about freedom and stuff like that. But actually, you know, you're right. Like for me personally, I felt like the best results I've had have not been from going to people and like preaching at them and, you know, screaming on the street. Oh, I'm not, knocking like street activists and stuff like they do their thing and it's you know if it's your mission it's your mission and go for it but for me personally i've just felt like being a good activist like not an activist but like just being a good advocate sorry individually you know just saying okay like let's keep like being being good health like just be reasonable have honest conversations with people don't get triggered all these kind of things tends to have like better results i think if you're a if you're a good advocate if you're just you know someone that people kind of like respect that they will say okay well maybe you know, vegans aren't all like the, you know, kind of crazy, yeah. triggered, skinny, mm-hmm. whatever the, the thing is. Right. I, I would say, I don't want to talk bad about street activists either, but the truth is that <laughs> there, you know, people are, are triggered by the word vegan. It's, and it's the so reason triggering. they're triggered by it is because there's so many like people that are vegan that are passionate about it. Right. And are, are really like coming from the right place and trying to make a difference and trying to wake people up, but that they do it in a, a way of like trying to like shock and shame. And the truth is it's like, and and it's really like you were there for our our talk that we gave at the greater reset that was one of the before we even started it we decided that we were going to try to not say the word vegan because it's triggering <laughs> and that we like our goal was to 
to have as much compassion in the discussion around it, because the truth is like people deserve compassion. They were lied to, they were tricked into this and they live in a society that, that wants to keep them trapped in that. And so, you know, if we come from a compassionate place and say, like, well, of course you think that, well, of course you want to eat meat. Of course the, like, like, and we take a little bit of that, like blame out of it or like you're an animal killer and just say like, well, of course you do, but, but can you understand this? And can you think about this? And can you connect with this idea? And it's like, it's the whole seed planting thing. And when you're out on the street with a sign, maybe you do trigger something in somebody when you're like screaming them and showing them bloody pictures of animals or something. Like maybe that does affect some people, but it probably also has it has a, a bigger effect in turning people off to the idea and kind yeah. of reinforcing their resistance to that and being like, oh, there's another one of those a-hole vegans out there doing their thing. And so like my my space, I always want to come from my conversations is is compassion and try to like connect mm-hmm and not shame and then try to just share my personal experience about things and then hope that that plants some kind of a seed. And I know it has, I've, sure. I've had people come back later and talk, tell me that the, some of the things I said were, you know, like really sat with them and they thought about it and they've changed their behavior. I've had people that have chosen to go, go vegan based on like some of our conversations. Right. And But we're normally not out there preaching. Yeah, this it's, or not, anything. Same this thing. Is, it's not really our it's like, it's not leading. really where yeah. we feel like, the most important place to take charge is, I guess. Um, yeah. It's not the I best, see natural the best law. Uh, of your, yeah. yeah. Freedom's you know, where it's at. Freedom. And, <laughs> sure. and that, and those other things just kind of naturally follow, like we shared, um, you know. Let me, go, ahead. go Yeah, go on, Lauren. Lauren I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting you. Oh, I was just going to make a point when you said the stuff about like soy and estrogen and how, you know, if we're worried about where estrogen is coming from, if we're getting like too much of it in our diets and things like maybe we should be considering drinking clean water because um, all the hormones that people are prescribed come out in their urine and go right back into the water stream and um, are not even really filtered and put back Mm -hmm. into our tap water. And so there's like extremely high levels of all sorts of chemicals and pharmaceutical drugs, but especially hormones um, in our water. And I think that that is probably driving a lot of the trans epidemic that we see happening. And um, I mean, look back, I'm not sure how many years ago this was now, but um, there was a study in Florida, I believe it was about alligators or crocodiles, whichever one I'm not. Gators. gators. Um, And that there was this area where they were not seeing any new alligators being born and, you know, environmental scientists got concerned and started researching what was going on in this swamp here. Well, there was um, industrial runoff coming into that area, a great amount of it. And they found that there was extremely high levels of hormones and hormone disruptors in the water. Now the males had become so small that they could not actually procreate. And the females had so much estrogen, too much that they were like incompetent. They couldn't, they, they didn't want to have sex. They couldn't have sex. So there were no baby alligators being born because of it. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty scary thought. And that most people don't care about drinking clean water either. That's a huge one, not just organic food. Um, you know, Water is huge. It's got plasticizers yeah. in it. It's got all sorts of stuff in it if you don't distill it or do reverse osmosis. So 
I think that's a huge factor for people to consider if they're concerned about their health and, you know, instead of like berating a vegan (laughs) saying you're polluting the environment with your soy and your body with your soy, like consider all the other things that are going on in the world today too, that are really negatively affecting our health and the environment and everything. So, yeah, you know, um, I I feel like we haven't, um, touched enough on the actual farm that you guys are living on. Like you mentioned about organics and stuff then. Um, I actually was listening to one of the other interviews that you did and you mentioned something, I think, I think the term you used was shadow ecology. And I think, uh, was it shallow or shallow ecology? It might've been. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just explain that concept and also just kind of like, you know, share what you guys are actually doing on your farm? Yeah. So shallow ecology would be like the conventional farmers today who kind of understand basics, but they're not really looking any deeper. They're not looking at their connection with the land. Um, They're just kind of looking at it like it's a a lab, like, okay, we're missing this. What do we need? Just slap that on there, cut that out. You know, humans tend to look at the environment and say, I want to grow X here. So I'm going to conform this environment, this whole ecology here to be able to serve me to grow this one thing that I want to grow here rather than like looking at the system that's already existing, the all the interwoven relationships in that different ecology that is right there on that plot of land and saying, what is going to grow best here? How can I look deeper at this land and connect with it and know how to help restore it. If perhaps there's something that has happened to damage that land. Um, You know, like for example, I see in South America and in the rainforest, we see clear cutting of forests and people are growing coffee or bananas or whatever it is that's happening during those clear cuttings. Well, something like, coffee and I believe bananas as well, they are um, understory plants. And so they don't need direct 100% sunlight with nothing else around them. They thrive more with a diverse canopy um, and getting that partial sun, partial shade. And so we've been lying to these farmers down there telling them that they have to clear cut their forest when really it's not we could be getting a much better product. We could get, be getting a much higher yield and the rainforest would be intact still if we were looking at nature through that deeper lens. Um, and then we can take that into our own lives and how we are interacting with nature. Um, if we decide to buy land and start farming on it, what way are we going to live on that land and how are we going to care for it? And so permaculture principles come in there. Um, really observing the land is important. Um, I think there was a quote that we shared in our uh, talk at the greater reset that the greatest or the best fertilizer is the farmer's shadow, something like that. Um, what did you mean by so that? Your time, your time spent time. there interacting with the dirt interacting with the plants. That's cool. Um, You know, we can't just like throw something out there and hope that it grows. We have to be there, be part of that. 
It's a, it's a, I mean, it, so yeah, the idea is like the, if you're there casting your shadow a lot, it means you're there and you're like working with the plants where you're like in tune with them and it's an energetic thing too. So it's not like, but you may be like pruning, you may be harvesting, you may be planting, you may be weeding, you may be, you know, like, like amending the soil. But the idea is that, and I, I've experienced this here with like, you see it and feel it when you're working with, with the plants, with the crop, you spend time like addressing their needs, observing and seeing what it is that they need from you to help them. And when you dress it and you walk away, you come back and you look and you can feel it. You can feel that like, Oh, like they appreciate me. Like they know that I did this for them. There's this like collective consciousness of this plant that understands that I care for them and that the things I was doing was to try to make them more healthy and that they're responding. And yeah, maybe they're responding to what you actually did, but it really feels like it's something deeper. And so I think when you talk about deep ecology, it's like this understanding that maybe there's elements of it that we don't even can't really like explain, but that the idea that if I'm there and I'm interacting with my plants and I'm expressing my appreciation for them. And I may even am doing that in an audible way, you know, like saying that I appreciate them and thank you. And you're looking great. And this is going to help you with this or whatever. And, um, or maybe I'm thinking it, but that there's something more to that. And so like on our land, like we, we have a primarily we're, um, citrus, um, orchards. And so we have, uh, we have about 120, Five fruiting trees that uh, citrus trees. Uh, citrus We've trees. got yeah, about 140 different fruiting trees all together. Fruits and vegetables um, as well, but wow. the citrus trees are our main main crop, and we um, juice the majority of it. We squeeze it and juice it and bottle it and um, sell it with our our restaurant that we take out. But the you know when we're working, we're we're an organic certified farm, and so everything has to kind of go through that lens first. There's a lot of things that you can't do if you want your organic certification, a lot of products that you can't use. And so, you know, we, we try to, we don't try, we do, we work very hard to source um, natural organic materials that can take the place of a lot of the traditional agricultural inputs. And we also try to create a, an environment around the farm that attracts and brings in wildlife. That's going to bring some of the, the, biodiversity and some of the nutrients that come yeah. along with with those animals being around and and try to to look at things more as like our connection and how we can can facilitate things as opposed to dominate the land and and do what we want with it but mm -hmm. more say like how can we make these things happen so a big piece of it's like patience and and research and really like trying to figure out what works finding people who if you don't know about something finding people that do that yeah. can help you we have some good friends that happen to to be like soil experts and and know a lot about some different things that have been able to help us there's a lot of analytics that you can do with your land you can do leaf tests and soil tests to really look at okay what is because at the end of the day, if your soil, it's just like the terrain of your body. If your soil is healthy, then your plants will be healthy. They will yield. Mm -hmm. They, and your plants will help keep that soil healthy because it's a symbiotic relationship between them. And so when something gets out of balance, again, this is just like in, with natural law, something's out of balance, something is missing. You know, you've got acidity in your soil, you're missing some critical minerals or nutrients. So that everything gets out of balance and it opens the door. The plants actually will send out signals to pests that that alert them. It's not for the pests. They're sending out a signal. I'm, I'm missing this thing. And it opens the door and it invites in parasites and pests to attack the leaves or the fruit of a plant. And so when, when the soil is healthy and the plant is healthy, it 
those those things aren't possible. In fact, the, the, the pests can't live on a healthy plant. They will die if they try to eat it because the sugars in the plant and everything else will, will make it not able yeah. to feed off of it. And so for us, wow. the soil is everything. Yeah, it all starts with the health of the soil. And unfortunately, a lot of um, industrial agriculture doesn't really care about soil. Uh, amazing teacher I had, um, his name's Steve Gleesman. He told me that he went around interviewing farmers and one of them told him that the only thing the soil is good for is holding the plant up. And that's just ridiculous. Right. Um, and he was specifically talking to strawberry farmers who were pumping methyl bromide into the soil, which is one of the most toxic chemicals that's used in agriculture. It's banned in every other use except for strawberries. Um, I'd have to check my, uh, you know, facts on that to see if it's still in use, but it was yeah. um, not very long ago. It kills everything. It kills everything in the soil. So you might be left with some nutrients or something, but there's nothing alive in the soil anymore when you do that. And that's a big problem. You, know, you can pump it full of whatever nutrients, but you don't, if you don't have microbiomes there with little bacteria and other sort of microorganisms that are living in that soil, you don't really have a healthy soil. So there's a lot of levels to it. And everything that you're doing, it's all veganic farming as well. Yeah. 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 So our primary, our primary nutrient, we use kelp concentrate as our like primary nutrient. That's got mm -hmm. a lot of like the nitrogen and, and potassium and stuff that, you know, all plants need in PK. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's our, that's our primary one. So obviously that's derived from, from kelp. And then we use some like, um, like minerals or anybody like different, like my, 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 my micronutrients and minerals. So we, we, when we test and we can see there's a deficiency, we might add some actual like copper or some zinc, something like that to the, to the soil or in a foliar spray to, you know, if a leaf sample shows that the trees might be deficient in something like that. Um, but it's all like naturally derived and and you know once no the animals. soil is in balance it can kind of self-sustain as well we are working on a farm that it was pre-existing so it's about two almost two acres that we have that has um fruit trees growing on it including our garden space and the previous owners whoever had first planted this grove here and all of the groves around us because we live in a hill um, a very hilly area and so all of the trees and the groves you see are planted on a slope not a single one of these farmers i mean maybe there's some now who have changed things but not a single one has any sort of terracing on the hillside so everything is just planted at these weird angles <laughs> um it doesn't even really make sense when you start looking at it people in <laughs> Ancient times knew how to terrace hillsides to grow their gardens. Um, but yet modern farmers seem to just think that they don't have to read the environment, that they don't have to understand how water moves across the land and they can just plant however they want. Um, the water movement is huge, especially when you're living in a, in a hilly area. And if you like clear cut and you just plant one thing and there's no, catch for any of that water, which is what we call a berm and a swale. So the swale is like a little ditch and a berm is like a hill that the water then hits and it fills until it's at a certain point and then it will overflow and come down the hill okay. into yeah. another berm. And it slows the movement of the water. It slows the 
movement of any sort of erosion that's happening. So the nutrients and minerals stay in the soil better. Um, it allows for better water absorption because it's not just hitting the hillside and rushing right off. Um, so a lot of like the things that we're trying to recover with our farm is due to it being planted on a hillside with no terracing and, you know, no cover cropping being done. So we have to really start amending a lot of those things to make, we have been, been, but we're working on amending those things and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, yeah, we've got, we've got a plan for like multi, multiple years of, of things that we're, you know, a lot of it's, you know, not anything that's like rocket science, it's compost and mulch and maybe some like lime gypsum, some different things to, to activate things in the soil. One of the things we find about the soil is that a lot of times it can, it's, it can have too much of a certain nutrient in it as well. And then it, it actually will like lock that nutrient in the soil. And so then it, it actually is just like locked in and the plant can't get any of that nutrient out of the soil. And then you can add some other element that unlocks that nutrient or, or like puts like the number back down where it needs to be so that the plant can access. So there's like a lot, a lot of layers of things that all interact with each other. You know, one of the things I wanted to say about veganic farming in particular though, is that, you know, there still is plenty of biological and animal um, inputs that come in. The idea is that we don't, um, we don't want to, to harm any animals and, and you, so, you, so we have a compost, right? And then the compost, there's all kinds of insects and snails and worms and these things that are breaking down our compost that are turning it into, to the soil or humus forest. But they're, you know, it's not, it's not that there's not animals involved in these biological processes. It's just that we're not exploiting them while we're doing it. And so, so if we, um, make a, we hang bird feeders all around our garden because we want birds to come and, and poop and give us their, you know, nitrogen from their poop, but we're not, we're not keeping them in cages to do it. Um, in our mind, from an ethical standpoint and from most people that do veganic farming, that would fit into that mold perfectly. It's actually the the model of what we want to do, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't eliminate animals because it's really difficult and challenging to grow plants without animals. They all kind of go together in nature. And so we want to mimic that as much as possible. Because again, we're not trying to like make a a lab (laughs) laboratory room and like cut out all these different inputs. This is a a natural system and we're outside and, Um, we also, part of our grove is irrigated through a pond that we have on the property and it's a fairly big pond. It's definitely like over nine foot deep, I believe in the deepest parts. And there's a lot of different fish in there and turtles and birds, frogs and birds come every day. Um, so we have a really amazing diversity that just is attracted here because of the pond. And then we take that water and we irrigate the grove with it. So it's getting some nutrients and things from all of the different things that are in that pond, including the animals that go to the bathroom there. (laughs) Um, Wow. That all just sounds yeah. so interesting. I'm God, I'd I'd love to visit your your farm one day. (laughs) Yeah. We'd love uh, to have you out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, that sounds awesome, and it's great that you you know you're you're proving that it's possible as well. You know, doing it vegan because I know there's a lot of people out there who they go, ah, oh, well, you know, you can be vegan, you can eat vegan, etc. But like, ah, uh, you know, once it comes to the farming aspect, that's impossible. Yeah. But you guys have got a farm. You're doing it. You're doing everything without exploiting animals, which I just think is is really awesome that you're an example of that. So yeah, yeah. Congrats on everything you're doing. I think it's really like genuinely inspiring. So thank you. Um, Thanks. 
guys, we, we've been going like quite a while. So uh, we're, almost, we're almost going yeah. on two hours here. So I'll, I'll start wrapping up. But do you want to um, just let people know, first of all, like where they can find you, you know, like uh, tell them all about like, um, is it Truth, Love, Freedom? The, and uh, Freedom. Truth, Love, and Freedom. Yeah. So, well, we've got a, we've got two websites. Well, we've got several websites. We've got one for our <laughs> restaurant. Our restaurant's called Ahimsa Bowls. Um, if you wanted to check it out, it's ahimsabowls.com. If you want to see the menu and kind of see what we're doing with that. A-H- A-H-I-M-C-S-A, which is Sanskrit for do no harm or nonviolence. Uh, and then we've got truthloveandfreedom.com, which is our uh, activist and spiritual conscious voluntarist hub network. And then we have uh, bluehillfarmorganics.com, which is a website for our farm, which we named Blue Hill Farm. Uh, with Truth, Love, and Freedom, we'll try to keep it brief, but it, it started with basically coming out of that space we talked about earlier where we were going around with the uh, interview questions and, and kind of sparking these. It was really interesting because it was kind mm-hmm. of just like lighting a fuse and letting people kind of like duke it out. And then every once in a while, just kind of bring in this little voice of reason and connect some things for people. But we instantly knew that there was like something to that. We just and- didn't know what we were going to do and what that was going to look like. But I kept listening to Mark Passio and it seemed like right at that time of the time line of where we were at in his podcast, he was really going off on like, if you have done work in college, if you have written papers and stuff, like, why aren't they published? What are you doing sitting there? You like armchair quarterback is what he would call people. And I just, um, I started getting really like self-conscious, like, oh my God, he's talking straight to me. I have to do something. Um, There's also a really powerful quote that he used multiple times, and I can't remember who said it, but uh, the quote is, to know and to not do is to not yet know. And Mm so it's about, he talks a lot about this responsibility to truth that Mm -hmm. we have, like, once you come to understand something, then you also understand that other people need to understand this and you can't hold it to yourself. You don't have the rights to keep that to yourself. And so um, that was kind of also a big motivating thing that he was saying. Yeah. And we decided we needed to have a website. Well, she actually, Lauren wrote. I wrote something a, first that's, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> a manifesto uh, about truth and natural law and freedom. She kind of consolidated in, in a really nice way, a lot of important points and made a very like bold statement and we printed it and started taking it and just handing it out to people and asking them to read it and come back and talk to us if they wanted to. A lot of people did. A lot of people connected with it. And so we said, you know what, let's at least get a website and just post this on it. We'll have a website and we'll have this thing, this, this paragraph, like multi-paragraph statement. And so we literally just had a piece of paper and we started mind mapping, like throwing a bunch of different words out there and truth and love and freedom came to the top of like circled words of like, well, these are the important things. And there was a truth, love and love, truth, love, freedom.com. But then I put truth, love and freedom.com into GoDaddy. And it said, this is available for like $9. And I was like, Oh wow. Like truth, love and freedom.com. Cool. Like, we got a website. And so we got our website. We put that logo on there. I'm trying to make this fast, but we, yeah. we designed our, we designed our logo. It's a, it's a book because we believe that like knowledge is freedom. The Libre. word liberty comes from Libre, the word for, for book in Latin. Right. And so it's a book with a triune heart, which is basically like the Trinity um, with a heart in the middle of it. And it just says, it's got some Merkabahs and it says truth, love, freedom around it. And right after we posted that on our website, uh, some some now friends of ours were putting on a, a music festival in Northern California called Music and Sky. 
and the it's band. It's great. You guys should band, totally go band, check yeah, it out. It's a great, great gathering. Uh, the band that we met dancing to is named Cubensis. They were a Grateful Dead cover band. And on their website, it said they were going to be playing at this festival. And so I clicked on the link to the festival and saw it. And they had, as their logo, was the Triune Heart, the same as what we had come up with for our logo for truthloveandfreedom.com. And I was like, hey, look, these guys are using the same thing, which we had looked a lot at different like things and trying to find the right shape and the right thing that fit what we were trying to say. And it was so perfect for it. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is cool. you know. And so I, I kind of set it aside. About a week later, I went back and clicked on the website for that music festival. And across the very top of it, it said truth period, love period, freedom period. Period, and then had the triune heart underneath it. And it I was like, like, gave us chills. I was like, whoa. I was like, look at this. I think we're supposed to go to this gathering. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious. And then we started looking at it, and it wasn't just a music festival. It was basically a health, health freedom. freedom. It had a it had people talking Speakers. about five G, and people. It had uh, David Avocado Wolf and jo- I can't remember all the names of people, but basically it was like all these people talking about like freedom things, et cetera. We we're like, we have to go to this thing. We went to it and. Until that point, I had never met anybody else who knew who Mark Passio was. I brought his name up multiple times and having so like deep conversations with random with people. Them. No one had ever heard of him. And literally every single person I ran into at this thing, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. I'm very familiar with his work. I know, oh, yeah, I'm a volunteerist too. It was like, what in the world? Like, what is going on? It was on? like we these- found our tribe. Yeah, totally. And it was right. It was like right at the end of COVID. They literally didn't give the address to the festival until like a week before. It was like the old raves or whatever where you, you're going to go, but you don't know where Rainbow it's at. Gang. And, they sent it out, and one of the number one rules was no masks allowed. And I was like, this is great. Like, this place is going to be cool. Uh, well, we ended up connecting with a lot of people there. We were literally running around with a notebook and paper taking people's names and, and email addresses and phone numbers. We're like, we have to stay connected with some of these people. We got back to our farm, and we decided we wanted to have, like, a meetup like a gathering with some of the people that were in Southern California that had attended. Because people were already having um, little meetups through the Music and Sky community, like in L.A. and at bars and stuff and with our kids and everything. We And we don't drink. We were just like, eh, bar doesn't sound that exciting. So we decided we wanted to have a meetup here. And it very quickly was like, why would we just have people come over and hang out? Like, why don't we make our own little mini Music and Sky and have speakers and have music and have people stay in camp overnight because we have the space for it um so we had our first first gathering one of the elements of it that was really important was that we decided we were going to have a a plant-based and organic potluck and that we would we would being a chef and wanting to promote this plant-based idea we, we realized we said hey like this is food everybody can eat you know if there's some people that are vegan and vegetarian then if people bring meat dishes they can't share in it but everybody that eats meat can also eat these other things so this is going to be yeah. kind of like a rule it's our private property yeah. that we have it at so we're going to make a rule that this is the only because we want all the kids that come they come from families that eat that way to be able to just enjoy the potluck yeah, and not have to ask what's I'll this kill. what's in this can i eat this and so that yeah. was a, a rule and element well I'll, Automatically, that kind of drew in a lot more people that were already kind of plant-based and eating that way, kind of we saw our flyer because we put it on the flyer for the gathering that this was a part of it. And so as our core community, we already had like a lot of people that already ate that way and were freedom-minded. And so we it's been this really cool thing where actually that's what we are going to be talking about at the Greater Reset is we believe that we're getting ready to host our 15th one of these gatherings and what we've seen mm-hmm come out of it is that this this beautiful community of people that all 
truly just like love each other and love seeing each other. We host them every couple of months. Uh, but all of our speakers and all of our musicians are people that come from our community. So we just say, hey, like, let us know if you want to speak. We have a vetting process of like, what's it going to be? We kind of put together the the stream of like how the evening is going to look. We do all the speakers earlier in the day. We stop and we have dinner and social time. And then we move into the entertainment of like music and, and we have rappers, conscious rappers and uh, people playing guitar, people spinning fire, like whatever people's talents are, people, people teaching crochet, uh, <laughs> you know, just whatever, whatever it is. So coming many up. different things have uh, come up. It's but been what wonderful. We, but what we, what we've gotten so much out of it. We have this, like, and we have such a diverse community. We have children. We also have 80 plus year old people that are regulars that come from our community that become a part of this and um they come and want to help on the farm yeah, during volunteer, volunteer days to too it's been wonderful <laughs> but what we what we what we're doing is we're putting together a blueprint of how people and the things that we've learned and with a lot of like tools and and things to help but we think that people all over that you don't have to have a farm to be able to to plan something like this you have to have you a do desire it in a park. you have to have a desire for community and you have to be able to find a space that will work it could be a park a campground somebody has got some land somewhere you need electricity whatever but that just with like the right planning and a few people that care you could create in your own neighborhood in your own area a really neat community of like-minded people. We, we, we're going to give people the, the the channels on the types of channels on Telegram and stuff to to join to try to find the people in your area that might want to be a part of it and offer our support too. But um, we're excited about it. We think it's just and we're, we're not doing anything to monetize it at all. We're not trying to to make anything off of it. We just have felt and seen that this the connections that have been made and then the things that have come out of that have seemed so intentional. And there's been so many like synchronicities with the yeah. people who have attended and why they came and who they were supposed to meet and what that meant to their life in the future and seeing that like we need the people that are all on the same page everywhere to start meeting each other and forming it's kind of like the freedom cell idea that uh, Derek Bros and John yeah. Bush have, have spearheaded but it's different because it's about it's also we call it an empowerment retreat and so the idea is that it's also it's like to come and like really have a lot of fun and just leave empowered and feeling like you're ready to take some action and we've watched people that have spoken on our stage for the first time they've ever did any public speaking start their own podcasts be invited to speak at other big events we have people who performed music or rap for the first time on our stage that have been invited to go on what one one of our good friends um alfred they call him the professor uh he went on tour with the with the old school rapper krs1 and got to open for him uh, on his tour and, and rap with him after so for the first time doing it on our stage and and we, we also have helped get him to some other some other gigs and some things that you know so it's just it's also been this like We've seen all these unintended effects has become a place for people to kind of step out of themselves and step into their gifts and into their power and and in a safe space, um, hone that craft a little bit and then take it out into the world, do something else with it. And we really want to um, provide people with a, a blueprint of how to try to create that in their own community. So that's yeah. what if you go to Greater Reset or you watch it, you'll be able to see our full presentation on that and hopefully get excited about it. And maybe you could start one yourself, Johnny. In your free time yeah 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 well definitely like hearing you guys talk about everything you, you've achieved definitely wants me to do more in that area so yeah hopefully one day i'll have my own farm i can do something similar <laughs> it helps yeah 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 for sure all right well thanks so much for coming on guys it's been it's been awesome i hope we get yeah, to chat again great. let's not leave it too long okay sounds awesome man it was great talking to you johnny yeah take care yeah see you guys all thank right. you Bye.